I'm very pleased to present to you a woman who first gained notoriety, um, I think, by holding her own in the uh, girls' restroom in her high school against a gang of other girls. Here's a personal thing. Here's a... Anyway, um, some have known her as Jeff the Girl. We like to refer to her as Leonor Inez Ortega Till. Saxophonist extraordinaire and scum of the earth staff person. Here she is. Oh, it's that announcement girl. Oh, cool. Um, I have a confession. Uh, I've been watching a lot of reality TV late at night with Netflix. And lately, it's okay. I've been watching, has anybody watched a show called Heavy? Heavy is about um, people who want to lose weight. And um, it takes them through um, a program with a coach. And they add exercise and good food. And they do lose weight. And it's very encouraging. And there's a part in the show that I love. My favorite part is when the person goes to the place that they're going to be living for 180 days and they can't bring any junk food and they're kind of bummed because uh, they know that their life is going to change and it's going to get hard. And they step onto a scale and there's a number. And the number is usually bigger than they want it to be. And they get kind of bummed and they feel their face just looks really sad. And that is not my favorite part because I'm not a sadist like that. But my favorite part is when the coach, the life coach slash uh, fitness instructor, says to them, that is the last time you will see that number. It is only going to get better from here. And their faces, they, they actually, whatever it is about the confidence, it totally transfers. And they're like, yes, damn it, that's right. The number is going down. This is it. And I get so pumped, and I can watch show after show after show because it's exciting and it's encouraging when people take hold of that confidence and create the change that they long to create because somebody is walking and working with them through it. Um, And even though I get pumped, it makes me wonder, should I get on a spiritual scale, what number would I see? Would I be happy with the results or would I be bummed? And what would the number refer to? What what would I measure my spiritual health by? What kind of attributes? Um, Be probably two things. It probably would be how well I feel connected to God and how well I feel connected to other people. And I also wonder if scum as a church, being 12 years old, were to get on a spiritual scale, would we like the number we would see corporately as a church? Would we say, awesome, we are doing super well, healthy, getting to know God and know each other in an authentic way, or would we be bummed? And what kind of things would we measure that health by? So today we're going to be studying um, what really matters. That is the title of my sermon, What Really Matters. And that's because it seems like Paul gets it, and it seems like at times we don't. And I know I don't. I can get easily, easily um, distracted. So let's pray, and then I will begin. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for tonight. Thank you for every person here. I pray, Lord, that if you want me to go off my notes, you show me where and how. And if you want me to stay on them, you help me to read while I talk. Amen. Okay, so we are studying Philippians 1, and we are going to have the verse up here. This is Paul talking to the church in the Philippians. uh, Philippi. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How many think that is encouraging? That's good stuff. Last week, Mike read from the book of Acts and was filling us in on the beginning of the church. And if you remember, it began with two households, the household of Lydia, who was a woman who chose to follow Christ and open up her household to the whole church. And a man who we don't even know his name, the jailer, he's called the jailer. And his whole household was also saved at that time. And now uh, the church is about 12 years old, which is the same as scum. And when I think of all of us um, and the old crew that started Scum of the Earth, I think of sitting on the couch at Mike and Mary's house. You saw some of those pictures and just hanging out. And I think, oh my gosh, how awesome that God does not leave things stagnant. Like the stagnant dishwater after uh, we eat. You guys gone in the kitchen and seen that? That's nasty. Um, but God doesn't leave things stagnant. He cleans things out. I am not the same person I was in the pictures. Thank you, God. And Scum is not the same church it was that you see in the pictures. Thank you, God. Uh, there's growth. There's a continual process. And just like scum, the church of Philippi is filled with individuals who long to grow corporately and as individuals. Um, Paul is writing Philippians to, to them as a letter. So it's important to remember that the book of Philippians is a real letter. This has a couple different implications. Um, the first one being, we don't know all the details. Uh, it'd be like if I was writing a letter from college to my mom and I was saying, dear mom who had me at age 24, whose name is Elvita Ortega and who lives in Pierce, Colorado, please don't let my brother Carlos Arturo Ortega drive my car that is a Dodge Dart. You wouldn't write like that. You'd say, mom, don't let my brother drive the car. So there's details in the letter that are not going to be there, but we can't add them in either because it's the Bible. With the Bible, you've got to be careful about adding too many things or taking too many things out. And which brings me to my second point. Philippians is probably one of the most well-quoted books of the Bible. You probably, in your own home, have a card or a letter from grandma or a little flyer from a shelter or a jail or you have, um, I don't know, somewhere you would have certain verses that were found in Philippians like, um, let's see if anyone knows this. Um, sorry, I can do all things through. Yeah, there you go. Um, he who began. Yeah, right. And those are important and they are real and they are true. But in isolation, um, they're only lines. They're taken out of context. So it's important that we think of them in the context. 
because Paul is writing these with a heavy heart. This man at this point of writing them is in jail. He's in jail probably three to four years and he may be awaiting his execution. We'll talk more about that in a little while, but I want you to remember that these are words written by Paul that are real. Sometimes they become such fluff that we've said in our head over and over and over. Like when we think of Jesus walking on water, it's like, yeah, Jesus walking on water. Imagine hearing that for the first time as an adult and believing it. There's, there's something that we have to do new. We have to put on our new listening ears and our new ears of our heart when listening to the book of Philippians because we've heard it so many times for most of us. Um, I know that for a lot of us when we've been struggling with our faith and when we've come to that point where it is dark, and I mean really dark, we are hanging on by a little string and we're in our private life, we are begging God, make yourself freaking real because I don't want to pray. I don't want to sing praise songs. You don't seem real. You don't seem here. You haven't talked to me in a long time. It's easy to share this with somebody else and for them to put on their flanders and hidey ho, you can do all things through God who's going to help you, brother. And unfortunately, a lot of us get flandered all the time and we get brothered and we get sister. Well, brother, well, sister, you just got to dig into the word. Let me bring out Philippians. And sadly, a lot of us kind of cringe when we hear these verses because they have bad connotations and hurt and ow, that was not real and painful and authentic. And that was not Paul saying it. But Paul is not talking from a Flanders point of view. He's authentically living out the brutal, gnarly faith. And so we can trust that what he's saying is true. So let's listen to him in a new way. Um, Paul's writing this book in a typical way that letters used to be written. Uh, but he does it with all these interesting theological considerations. He's smart. Everything he does is intentional and with great detail because he's trying to send a message that he wants his congregation to hear. For instance, this letter begins in the typical matter of letters. Um, it would have set, said the name of the sender and it would have said the name of the recipient and then a brief salutation. But with Paul, he modifies things saying, yeah, I'm sending it from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. He could have said apostle. He could have said, I'm that awesome guy that came in here and told you about Jesus and founded your church. I'm the guy who's sending the letter. Um, he could have said your pastor, I guess, or your elder, but he didn't. He was very, very lowly and humble saying, your servant, I am your servant, Timothy and I. Even though we set up churches and go around and God talks to us, we are your servants. And that might be because he wants to model something very strong to the rest of the church. And he also addresses the whole church, which I think is pretty awesome. How awesome would it be if we got a letter to the whole church? Everybody had access to it. He does uh, say, you know, to the overseers as well, but it's to the whole church. Everybody has access. It doesn't go to the main people and then get trickled down, which is pretty cool. And he calls the whole church saints. And the word for saints, um, it means set apart. It means having an ethical responsibility. So being a saint has a responsibility that carries with it. And even though this group is saints, they are suffering. I think sometimes as a church, we suffer too. Although I think more of us tend to unfortunately suffer individually and then once in a while bring it to our little group of friends. Um, but a lot of us, deal with a lot of suffering. And back then they were dealing with a lot of gnarly persecution. You've seen the movies, you know that people were, um, Christians were lit on fire to be torches for the Colosseum shows. You know that um, it's said that Paul, and we don't know if it's true, 
Each of his limbs was attached to a different horse that were spooked and set in four different directions. And that's how he was martyred. Different ones were beheaded. Different ones were um, encased in deer skin so that when it cured, it would tighten and crush the bones of Christians. There's records of this. People were brutally persecuted for their faith. And these people were suffering as a church. So they had more to contend with than we do as far as, you know, paying off our debts. They had to be strong as a group, strong corporately. Um, and yet Paul, as we read again, let me, let me bring up that verse again really quick. Um, he's talking about joy. He's confident. He's filled with joy, joy, joy. He's trying to give this group of people a Christian perspective on joy, a Christian perspective on suffering and joy that is completely different than what we know in the world. How can we have joy when everything is against us? How do we get from point A to point B? Point A being where we are now, dirty dishwater, to point B, beautiful babbling brooks that God has for us without screwing it up. How do we encourage each other to keep doing that, to not be stagnant? The other thing about this group of people that we might want to know is that they are generous. The Philippians are really good at giving away money. They're known for it. They're going to be told time and time again, you are generous. You have given. You have helped me in my time of need. When he was in jail, they gave. And I think it's scum of the earth. How many churches have helped us? TNL, Corona, his love. Keep shouting them. Mission Hills, Celebration, Cherry Hills. Yes, Church in the City. Tons of churches. Tons and tons and tons of churches. We are at the benefit of a lot of goodness, which is awesome. And how many ministries help us? Joshua Station, they've helped us a lot. Denver Rescue Mission, Prodigal. Yeah, his love fellowship stuff. YWAM, all kinds of ministries coming in and out, helping us. And it's awesome. And we are to be very, very happy recipients from all of that and also to give. Do you guys know that your church gives a massive, gnarly, wonderful, beautiful benevolence? Do you know that there is a bit of money in the budget for giving? And it's pretty significant and beautiful. And it used to be even more, but Mike got in trouble because he had a checkbook and we kind of write a lot of checks. But we got, got wind of that, you know. You got to give money away, but we got to have a budget for it. So. <laughs> but yeah, Scum is very good at giving. The other thing that I think is fascinating is that Philippians is Paul's spiritual baby. How many of you have, have been there at the beginning of a ministry or a small group or a church? You get kind of maternal or paternal about it. Do you guys know Eric Bain? He was one of the pastors here at Scum. And when I first met him, I'm kind of ashamed of this, but he came up to me and he was like, I'm the new head pastor. And I was like, because I had gone there a long time and I looked at him and I, I love him, but I was like, take care of my congregation. I really, I stared him down. I was like maternal with scum of the earth, like a mother cat. You get kind of like possessive because you've put your heart and joy into it. And it's like, dude, be careful. I don't know you. He turned out to be awesome. God does that where I don't trust people in the beginning. Those are the people I end up really loving the most. So if I've ever told any of you that I don't like you in the beginning, you're on a good track. It's true. Josh Dillon knows that too. I did that to him. Sorry. But for Paul, 
this church is his baby. And he uses that language. You hear it. He says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's easy to show up to a church on a Sunday and be happy that everything's in place. Oh, there's a meal. Oh, there's worship. Oh, there's a place to sit down. Do you know someone set up your chair? Do you know somebody cleaned the bathroom? Do you know somebody made your food? Do you know somebody's watching your kid? Do you know somebody's been praying? Do you know somebody donated that lives in another state, country? Because they care about us right now, tonight, here. This, this, the legacy, the legacy of how scum works is that we can't do it on our own. Um, and especially when I think of pastors and staff and staff that have come through the door is that these people are raising money to work here and to give their lives to this congregation because we care like Paul cared. I know those words, they're just words sometimes, but they're not. It gets really um, emotional for me when I think of the life I've chosen to walk alongside scum. I would not have it any other way. This is, this is the one for me, and this is the one for many of you. Many of you I've known over 10 years, and it's pretty cool. And thank God we are not stagnant, huh? <laughs> and if you've ever led anyone to Christ, if you've ever walked along somebody or discipled them or helped them get from point A to point B in their life, you know you feel possessive about them. When someone else tries to walk into the middle of them and the Lord, you're like, oh, no, I've done too much work. I've prayed too many times. I've cried too many tears. Or when they're going down a wrong path, it gets kind of, it's kind of personal, right? You have worked on that person. You've walked with that person. Your love is with that person. So, you know, each of us knows a taste of what it feels like to be Paul, not being able to do anything about it, not being able to make the church do what he wants them to do, but saying, ah, I am fighting for you. I'm in jail. I'm bound. I might die, but I'm fighting and giving my life for you. Make it worth it. Make it worth it. He longs for this church with a burden um, in a good kind of pride and a good kind of affection because he wants them to be unified, to be one as a church and to be unified within themselves. Even individually, we get so fragmented and there's verses about that in Sephaniah. It says, God will gather all the pieces of ourselves like a country after a war and he will sing over us and comfort over us beautiful metaphors of loving and of caring. And sometimes I get so fragmented in my life where I'm just like such a busy person. And I'm like, God, make me one, please make me one so that I can be fully yours and have a goal and be an arrow. Paul wants this church to live with an adult childlike mentality. That's what we're called to be when it comes to, to God. We call him God. We call him Father. But he wants us to be adult children, not children children. Adult children have a very different relationship. There's free will. There's the ability for relationship. You can come in and out of your parents' lives if you want to. They can't make you. You can give back to them. You can, you can be functioning, contributing, nurturing, creating Christians. And I think it's come of the earth. We long to be functioning, creative, nurturing, relational Christians. That's the point, right? To get from point A to point B. Um, and I think that we're on a good path. I really do. So what really matters? 
It reminds me of that show, Heavy. Like I said, when you get on the spiritual scale, the number that you see, um, and the spiritual health, health that you're looking at, there's two things that these people are doing when they're at the center and they're trying to lose the weight. One is they're trying to rid themselves of baggage, extra baggage. And you can look at this spiritually too, like for each of us, what is it that we're holding on to that we need to let go of? It could be fear. It could be anger. It could be impatience. It could be, um, honestly, a big one for a lot of us is, and me too, is, is forgiving people. And usually it's forgiving ourselves. The baggage we might have to let go is the lie of being a good person. If only I could be the good girl, God would get me there. You can't do it. It doesn't exist. It's not authentic. There's so many lies that we, we have in our head about what God wants from us. And that's extra baggage. It gets us nowhere and it holds us down constantly. And then, aside from the spiritual baggage, there's the spiritual nourishment that we need. What is it? The spinach, the leafy greens, the nuts, the seeds. What is it good that God wants to, us to eat that we're not used to eating and we don't like the taste of? But when I read the Bible, it's so boring and I don't know how to understand it. And when I go to small group, I can only tell a little bit about myself because then I don't look like the good girl. Or when I pray, it's hard to pray because I don't hear your voice. So I can only pray for a little while and I'm not really into the listening part. I know for me, that honestly really is one. I'm down with the prayer part. I pray a lot. I pray and I pray and I pray. Listening, not so much. Um, I think it's something that we need to look at, our spiritual baggage and our spiritual, spiritual nourishment. But the important part when we look at this, because it's a big thing to look at, is that we cannot screw it up. It's not like the show Heavy. Those people could say, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it. It's too much and go home. You don't really have control. You don't really get to go home. You don't, have a, you don't have a chance now. You're God's. You are God's. He's in control. And so Paul is confident when he writes to the Philippians that God is doing the work. That, to me, is so relieving. I mean, I don't even know if relieving is a word, but I'm just relieved by it, you know? I'm so relieved that we can't screw it up. Um, God is going to complete the work being done in us as a group and individually. So no pastor, no mentor, no small group leader, no counselor, no best friend, no spouse. Nobody can screw it up, but nobody can also make you get there. So it's kind of a dichotomy, not to put too much emphasis on those relationships and recognize that God's going to do what he's going to do. And also when you're leading others, especially a lot of people here in service, we are in ministries. A lot of us, it's come tons of us are working with children, working with other people. We can't make them change. God's going to do it. We can't get them from point A to point B. It's not our job. There are times when this verse is really challenging for me because when I read, um, when I read and when I think about the idea that Paul is confident that these people are going to keep going and that God's going to do the work. And then I think about the people that I've walked with for years and, um, one of the things that I do here at SCUM, and I'm very happy to do it, is I walk with young women throughout um, years sometimes. I'll meet with women once a week. There's one I, one in particular comes to mind that I drove to Parker. Parker from, I live by Lakeside, and driving to Parker, it's not very close. But I would meet with her once a week and talk and pray and talk about the Lord. And we met about a year like that. 
And then when it was time for her to move in with her boyfriend, she basically ignored me for a long time and skipped town and didn't invite me to her wedding later. These are the kind of things that are painful for me. These are the things when I think of, how do I get people to point A to point B? No, 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 no. It's going to hurt. But my job is to be available and to be used as people want to use me. And if they can get something out of it, awesome. And if I can get something out of you, awesome. If I can get something out of Mike and Mary, awesome. But it hurts. It hurts when people go the other way. And then I think about the people and big, deep, awesome, wonderful friendships of loved ones that are giving giving the silent treatment to God in their lives right now. And some of them say they don't believe. Some of them say they don't want to believe. Some of them say they never believed. Some of them say we're all crazy. They all have a different point of view on it, but it doesn't make it any less painful when people you love are closing their spiritual ears. It's painful. Um, And it's hard. And it's something that we at Scum of the Earth don't take lightly. When someone leaves our flock, it's painful. And when we were singing Better as One Day, I wrote this down today because I was thinking, um, as follower of Christ, can we spare a single day? Can I spare one day of my life not following Christ? No, I can't spare a single day. That's so scary. I can't spare a day. I can't spare a day without Christ. I would not want that day. And can we spare giving up one of our little lambs? No, that's even scarier. God is relentless in chasing off that little lamb. Those prodigal sons, we may be the big brother saying, you know, I've done all the good things. I'm the good, I'm the good brother. Why does he get the big party? You know what? We got to lay that attitude down. That is crappy. Um, So we're going to have a moment of silence here for a few seconds. And I want you to actively pray and, and ask God, and he might not answer now, but ask him, What spiritual baggage you need to give up and what spiritual nourishment you need to be ingesting and chewing on. And after that, I'm going to call Justina and Jesse up and they're going to share and then Dave is going to share. And during that time of worship, the last time of worship, I wanted to mention there's going to be prayer in the back room. If you want to, that little room, if you want to pray with somebody about this stuff, that would be awesome. So let's give it a few moments of silence and then Jesse and Justina will come up. When um, the staff team, was, we were talking about this passage this last week, and we're talking about um, this idea of what really matters in community and in this church. And, um, and when I think about what really matters um, concerning Scum of the Earth Church, it, 
it is the relationships that um, I have been blessed to be a part of, the relationships that have poured into me, the relationships that I have um, been given the time to pour into. And um, yeah, it makes come of the earth who we are and um, it allows us to journey together. Um, I'm really blessed to be able to introduce my friend Justina. She's been a huge part of what really matters to me about this church. When uh, my husband and I first decided to move down here, she's a huge motivating factor for me. Um, and she's going to get up here and share a little bit about her journey with Scum of the Earth and why she's stuck with us um, all these years. To give you a little bit of context, she's been around Scum since 2001, so it's been a while. I met her in 2003, um, and at the time, I, I believe I'd been around Scum for all of maybe a week and a half. And Mike Sayers said, I have this girl that I want you to meet. And I said, okay, okay, that's cool, you know. And uh, as he's bringing me over to meet her, he says, oh, by the way, she hates women. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, great, you know. So, so anyway, I meet, um, I meet Jesse, and we have kind of this awkward <laughs> exchange. And um, later that week, I end up hanging out with her. Um, going to work with her, which meant basically wandering around the streets of downtown Denver till three, four in the morning, um, flyering cars all night long. So we went to where all the clubs let out, and we went in bars and all sorts of places. And this was kind of my introduction to my relationship with her. And it has been interesting ever since. <laughs> I will say that. But I just want to bring you up. Um, this is Justina Jones, or Jesse. I think probably the only thing we have in common is our name, really, right? So anyway, I'm going to give it to you, and I want her to just talk about, um, yeah, what has mattered to her about this community? What has made her feel um, loved the way that Paul loved the Philippians? So when I was first asked to speak, my first thought was, no, absolutely not. And then I thought, nobody at SCUM has ever asked me to do anything that wasn't good for me. So I better do it. Um, and I wrote it down. I'm not really good at this sort of thing. I started coming in, in to SCUM in 2001. I always kind of considered myself as a religious orphan kind of and the people at scum helped me learn a lot really and um i really feel like the people at scum kind of adopted me and they helped me learn that i deserve love and faith One of the great things about Justine, I was just telling her this in the hallway, is that um, she's always chosen into this community. She's always chosen to to trust that we're not going to call her into something that's not good for her. And um, whether that's speaking up here, hanging out with somebody like me who is way out of your world, um, 
and that ordered me to hang out. <laughs> he told me I didn't have a choice. I think that's what it was gonna. He knew that's what it was gonna take. <laughs> he said she's coming over on Saturday, and I said I have to work on Saturday, and he said he said, uh, "Well, take her to work with you." <laughs> right. Um, but I just think she's a huge testimony because she chose into this community. And sometimes I think we need to do that. But she chose in this community because, like she expressed, she knew she was loved here. So that's, that's what really matters. it oh. okay um i wrote down what i'm gonna say um when leonor told me to talk about what i think the legacy of scum what it has been and what it will be the only thing i could really think of was prayer um One of the few times I met Mike, it was real brief, and this is during the um, Bible study at Corona, and then he got fired from being the youth pastor at Corona, and um, I saw him a week or so later, and I, I walked up to him and I said, Mike, I want you to know, I am praying for you. And he said, thanks. What was your name again? <laughs> and then he learned it, my name. I'm sorry, I have to turn it just a little. Don't blow up. Okay. So um, remembering those early days um, of meeting in Mike's living room, and you see the pictures of Reese acting like a, an idiot, which was kind of normal. And um, um, just all those... We'd had so many ideas, and some of them were ridiculous, and some of them were really good, and um, we had so much passion and and so much vision, and then and like and, so, and just a lot of conviction, and then we would pray, and it's kind of like none of that really mattered. We really, really just did want to serve God, and God really did enter in in our prayers. And we knew that it would it would have to be God for us to pull this off. Um, like I said, there was a lot of idiocy going on and things like that. So. <laughs> um, so we really did dedicate ourselves to prayer um, quite often, and we would have all night prayer meetings and. And just felt like a, a deeper bond in our friendship, I think, and um, as leaders. And, and God really, he did move among us. And so we were having one of our first meetings at the prodigal, and Mike was panicking in his Greek way. And he said, I don't think we're going to have time for prayer before the service anymore. And we shot him down. <laughs> and I'm so glad we did because now prayer before the service is a non-negotiable. We will always pray before the service. We will always ask God 
to send his Holy Spirit here to be with us because we are empty without it. And so now, sorry, (laughs) you know, it's been 12 years and a lot of people have come and gone and leaders have come and gone and people have come in and out of the faith and, and we stay strong, but it's because of prayer and God's strength and Listening to Will pray one night, the guy who does our PowerPoint sometimes, this is at his love. Um, he just was saying, just in a very quiet voice during our prayer time, we just, God, we just so desperately need you. Just over and over again, he was saying that, and it just touched my heart because that is the heart of scum, that we do desperately need God so much. And if you don't desperately need God, there's a problem. so Leonore had said the legacy of scum is that we can't do it on our own and that's true and I'm I'm just reiterating the point that we do desperately need God so much he has done so many miracles for us just so we can hang out together in this building it just it's kind of almost ridiculous the things that he's done for us and and yet it appears sometimes like we're just goofing off and that's fun. Like we do have fun together, but, but there's a deeper current running here. And I do want to invite you tonight. If you haven't felt like you can get plugged in at scum, I know it's hard sometimes. I know when you're new, it's, we're not a very welcoming church. We're not a very friendly church, but Try to weasel your way in, and um, <laughs> and we will love you so much. We're glad you're here, and we want to pass that torch on to you of prayer and of, of caring for each other in this church. And we're so thankful for people like Justina that, that feel like they can come back here, and it's a safe place. So it's my hope that this is a place where the prayer never does cease. And... Um, like Leonor said, we do have prayer. If you want private prayer, you can go behind that curtain. There are good people back there. Um, don't be afraid to turn to someone next to you if you need to, because we're the body of Christ and we can pray for each other. Um, you can talk to me or I'm not on staff, but anyone else on staff or a worship leader. Um, we, we make that a priority to pray for you. So that's it.